Let's pray. Father, as your word is open, we pray that you may teach us. Father, may you speak through your people. We thank you, Lord, for already hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, 1 to 5. What will people be like in the last days? Notice the Bible says, but know this, that in the last days, do you, how many believe we're in the last days? Let me see your hand out there. Amen? Do you see the things happening? You see the natural disasters happening? You see the corruption in government? You see the corruption in the churches? You see the wickedness and the evil? The Bible says here, do you know that in the last days, perilous times will come. What kind of times will come? The Bible says, perilous times will come. Then it says that men will be lovers of what? Themselves. What does that mean to be a lover of themselves? They will be what? What's another word for that? They'll be selfish, right? So in the last days, there'll be people who will be selfish, right? And then it says here also, there'll be lovers of themselves. There'll be lovers of what? What's the next thing it says? Lovers of money. So not only they'll be selfish, but in the last days, they see people that's going to be selfish. And you're going to see people who are lovers of money or they're very materialistic. Then it goes on, it doesn't stop there. It says, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of what? Pleasure rather than lovers of what? God. In other words, they're going to love pleasure more than love God. They'll be living luxurious, extravagant lifestyles, we're told here in the last days. And then it says here, but I want you to know, is this, is this talking about people out there in the world? Is that what it's talking about? Look at it, verse 5, it says, these same people that the Bible's talking about in verses 1 to 4, the Bible says here, they're having a form of what? Godliness, but denying its what? Power from such people turn away. So the Bible's talking about these people, it's saying that these people have a form of godly. In other words, they want to look like they're godly. In other words, they're professing to be Christians on the outside, but on the inside, they have all this corruption. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? So this is not referring, this Bible prophecy is not referring in the last days to people in the world, but it's referring to Christians like you and I who attend church. If you believe that, let me say amen. Amen? So in other words, the Bible is prophesying that we would be like this in the last days. There's going to be people who love pleasure, who love living luxurious lifestyles, extravagant lifestyles, people who go to church who become very materialistic. You think that could be possible in our churches today? That's what the Bible says will happen. Does this lifestyle even affect our own homes? You know, they found a study that 90% of couples who were interviewed, they found out that 90% of couples fought about money at least one time. Do you know that? And do you know that those who got in divorce, couples who got in divorce, they found that 34% of couples who got a divorce got a divorce because the major problem in the divorce was about money. Did you know that? So money is, is big, and that's why I put down it's not in God we trust in these last days, it's about in money we trust. Now, Let's look at another Bible text that gives us counsel about money. It's Proverbs chapter 21, verse 17. Please turn me to Proverbs 21, verse 17. Let's see what Solomon had to say about money. Notice, how does one become poor? Notice the Bible says, 21, verse 17. The Bible says, He who loves pleasure will be a what? Poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich, right? So that's the Bible. So if you tend to enjoy the good things in life, according to the Bible, you end up poor and you feel like you never have money, right? How many ever felt poor in your life? Let me see your hands out there. I felt poor many times. If you ever have money, you must have self-control, 
and be willing to live a simple life. That's very simple. You know, 60% of American families in the United States of America today, 60% of them spend more money than they earn. Could that be said of you today? How many have ever been in the, that situation where you're actually spending more money, not to raise your hand, but spend more money than actually, you're not saving the money, but you're spending. In fact, you're getting more and more into debt. Now, let's look at debt. Turn to Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 in your Bibles. What are we not to do? That's what the Bible says here. Romans 13, verse 8. The Bible says, Oh, no one, what? Anything except to what? Love one another. In other words, we are to owe no man anything. In other words, we are not to be in debt. You believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? So, there are ex exceptions, you know, where we can, you know, purchase a, a church or a home, but the ultimate goal is to get out of debt, not to stay in debt, right? Unfortunately, America is steeped into debt. How many here are in debt in some way or another in this church? Let me see your hands out there. <laughs> Come on, don't leave me hanging. Come on here, let me see your hands out there. Be honest. Okay, amen. Somewhere, you own a mortgage, credit card, right? Whatever is department more store cards, right? Do you know that the United States of America itself is also in debt? Do you guys know that? How many of you guys knew that? The United States actually owes money too. Okay, you guys know that. Do you, how many of you guys know how much money that the United States of America, the federal government, is in debt? Does anyone know at this time? How much? Trillion. How much trillion? One? Twenty trillion dollars. Which comes out to every American in the United States, this, not to pay off your own debt, you have your own debt, right? But if you wanted to pay off the United States of America's debt of $20 trillion, you know what that means? That every single person in this church and in the whole United States will have to pay $60,000 each person to get out of debt. Now, how many of you guys heard of um, LeBron James? <laughs> Cleveland Cavaliers, okay? So, how many of you know how much money he makes a year? $42 million. How many wish you could make $420,000 a year? <laughs> but this guy makes $42 million a year. How many wish he had $42 million a year, right? Was that a lady who just won, like, was that 600 and something million dollars, right, in the lottery, right? That's a lot of money. But say he won $42 million, he makes $42 million a year. How many believe that's a lot of money? That's a lot of money, right? $42 million. Okay. In comparison to the $20 trillion the United States of America is in debt, we're looking at a nation, we're looking at um, prophecy in these last days, $20 trillion, right? LeBron James, making $42 million a year, would have to work 476,180 years of playing basketball to make $20 trillion. First of all, he wouldn't even live that long, would he, right? 476,000 years. That's how much this nation is in debt. I just want to give you a perspective so you kind of understand what's going on in our debt. You see, now you think, well, okay, we borrowed this money, $20 trillion, that's a lot. But did you know that even at $20 trillion, that even the United States government has to pay interest on that as well, just like we pay on credit cards. Did you know that? So for the $20 trillion, every year, they have to pay, just in, just in interest alone, they have to pay $432 billion a year just on interest alone. And guess where that money comes from? Does it magically appear in the, in the government? Guess where we get that money from? Your taxes that you pay and my taxes that I pay. Did you know that? So even the money they take out, it goes to pay off not only the $20 trillion, but it pays off even the interest on that loan. Every single day, the United States government goes $3.8 billion into debt, and every single second, the United States of America goes $28,000 in debt every second. Within four seconds, over $100,000. How many wish you had a $28,000? I could get a car, okay, for $28,000, one second. That's how much we're going to debt, and it's getting more and more and more. Now, why did I bring it up? The first thing that's wrong about this national debt is that our leaders of this nation 
are setting a bad example for us as Americans, right? What is good for the goose is good for the gander, right? If mom and dad does it, right, the kids are going to follow our example, right? If our parents and leaders of this nation are going to more and more into death, guess what? Don't you think that's the reason why maybe that so many of us are in debt? Because if we can go 20 trillion, you know, my debt of, you know, $15,000 is not really that bad. That's the first thing I want to present. The second thing is that this national debt problem is that our leaders are being what they call fiscally irresponsible and wasteful in the management of our money. And this wastefulness, they call it park spending, right? They, they buy this hammer for like $1,500, you know, because that's how they contract things out. And it's just ridiculous. And they're buying things and services that people don't even need, you know, because they're doing a friend of, a favor. That's the second thing, park spending. And then the third thing about this national debt, and I'm going to quote the text, and it says, Thou shalt not steal. Can you hear a big amen? Amen? So when we live in luxurious lifestyle and extravagance and actually gaining the benefits of using the money that's today, the borrow money to live a life that we want to live like today, when we're borrowing, what we're doing is we're borrowing from the future. Do you know that? So when we borrow from the future, I want you to think about this. When we're borrowing money from the future and we expect the future to pay for our debt, who pays for that debt if we're borrowing right now? The next generation, right? So the next generation is paying for our debt, say 20 years on the line, because we're getting more and more into debt. So they're paying for it. What we're really doing, so we can live our selfish, luxurious lifestyle to get all the benefits and everything, what we're really doing is we're stealing from the future, right, the next generation, expecting them to pay off our debts in the future so that we can presently live this selfish, luxurious lifestyle that we want. And beloved, thou shalt not steal. Can I have a big amen? Amen? So whenever we do that, with not thinking about others, we're thinking about ourselves. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? We in America are living a luxurious lifestyle that we cannot even afford. We have made money our God, and we will do anything to get it. We come to believe that this money God can give us whatever we want in our lives. All we have to do is bow down to it, worship it, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And beloved, the Bible tells me that there's only one true God who can fill the emptiness of our hearts. What do you say? Amen? I think people feel they make money as if God is favorable for them. They worship the God of money. If things are going good and financially they're doing well, they feel like, oh, wow, God is blessing me. But if things are not going well and you're going through financial hard times, and oh, no, so all of a sudden something's wrong, like God's not blessing me. And so we look at money, in money we trust. But God wants us to trust in the true God. And I want that. Isn't it time that we as a nation change our ways? Isn't it times that maybe we, we thought about how much we're spending and set a good example for all our citizens and change our ways? I want that. You know, money's going to play a major part in the last days. Major part in the last days. We told that even the national laws that are passed in the future, we told in the great controversy, to restore economic prosperity. In other words, there's going to be some type of crisis in the future financially that's going to happen. That's why we're talking about money here. And there's other reasons we're going to find out tomorrow why we're talking about money. But in the future, there's going to be some type of financial crisis and that they want to restore things back and make things right in America. And if we actually appease God and make Him happy, you know, keep all of His Ten Commandments, then God will bless us financially once again. That's the thought that's going to happen in the future. So let's look at a few things on financial principles and integrity. Turn to Matthew chapter 19 in your Bibles with me, please. Matthew chapter 19 in your Bibles, verses 16, starting in verse 16. And we're going to look at a story here in the Bible, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, about the rich young ruler. Okay, look at the Bible says here. You know the story of the rich young ruler, right? Matthew 19, verse 16. It says here, one came to him, verse 16, he's a good teacher, what good thing should I do that I may have eternal life? And then the Bible says, so he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you should not murder. You should not commit adultery. 
you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things that you're saying, all these commandments I have done since my youth, it says. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go what? Sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Externally, he thought he could keep all the commandments and Jesus said, no, not externally keep the commandments, but in your heart, do you really want to give up everything? Are you coveting money? Do you worship money? Is money your God? If you really want to follow me, then give up all your money, sell all you have, and come and follow me. How many actually could actually do that and give up all you have if Jesus told you? That's a good challenge, right? Then it says here, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Surely I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Amen? In other words, they said, Who can make it to heaven? We have to give up all these things that we have and all the riches and all the possessions we have. And that's why Jesus said, it's impossible for you to make it a rich man to make it to heaven. But what is impossible with man, with God, all things are possible. In other words, God can change our hearts. What do you say? He can change your heart and my heart. Why were they amazed at what Jesus said? Because they knew at that time, people treated people differently according to their wealth. If they, is that not also true with us today? Do we treat people differently because of their wealth and their status? Do churches have the mindset that if a member is a, a doctor, that he should be an elder automatically and put on these special committees regardless of his spirituality? Do you think that could happen today? So in Jesus' time, this happened. And even today, you know, I remember the story of... Uh, there was this, this mom was talking with another person in a, in a church, and they asked, hey, how's your... By the way, my brother's a doctor, so this has happened too in the past. But they said to this lady, said, well, hey, how's your son doing? They said, oh, my son, um, he doesn't go to church anymore. They go, really? He doesn't go to church? I said, no, I'm sorry to hear that. Then I said, but he's a doctor now. And they go, oh, praise the Lord, he's a doctor, amen. And you see how, like, the world makes it look like, you know that if you're a doctor or you're a prestigious person, all of a sudden that you're spiritual automatically. But just because we have positions, that doesn't mean that we need to worship people just because they have these positions. What do you say? Amen? We need to put people in positions in the church who are really spiritual. And that's what God wants for all of us. There's another story here in your Bible. It's turning me to Acts chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Turn me, please, to Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. This is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. The Bible says here, it says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So they sold their possessions, and they brought the money to the apostles. And it says here, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? So they sold this land, and then said they sold it for like a million dollars. Then they came to the apostles and said, hey, we sold this land for $500,000. Here's the money for the land. Then it says here, so they went there, but Peter said he knew. The Holy Spirit revealed what they did wrong. And what remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to what? To God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. He fell down and he died. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young man arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Took him out, and they buried him because he had died, because he had lied to the Holy Ghost. 
And it was about three hours later when his wife came in and not knowing what happened. And Peter answered her, tell me where you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, I sold it for so much. So he asked her the same question. Did you sell it for 500000 And she said, yes, I sold this for 500000 Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they were carried out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And a young man came in and found her dead and carried her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. You see, they were doing these things and they had not only lied to the church, they had lied to God. In the same way, we need to be faithful in carrying out what we promised to God when under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You see, we must look at what was happening here in the situation the early rain was falling upon them. They were faithful to God. And that was not a time when for them to lie to the church and to God. They were under the conviction from the Holy Spirit what to do. And they made vows to God, but they did not follow through with their vows. Just like David says in Psalms, whatever I have vowed, I will pay. If we make a vow to God, we need to be faithful in following through with those vows. You believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? Whenever you pledge, keep your word and don't rob from God. You know, the Bible says that when they ask them, remember the Bible says, you have robbed me, God says, right? And, so, and they ask God, where have we robbed you? And God says, in tithes and what? Offerings. You know, God asks his people to return tithes and offerings. Can you hear me? Amen? Amen? Not just tithes, but offerings. I want you to notice this quotation, and um, it's not in your hand now, but it's, it's, it, the reference is found in Testimonies to the Church, Volume 3, page 395. Testimony to the Church, Volume 3, page 395. Notice it says here, in the Old Testament of the Jewish nation, it says, no less than one-third of their income, of the Jewish nation, of each person, no less than one-third of the income was devoted to sacred and religious purposes. So what is one-third? How much percent is that? Okay, about 33%, right? 0.33, right? This goes on. So 33, that's a lot. So... These Israelites, they weren't just pay, returning 10%. They were returning 10% tithe. And then in the Old Testament, you study, there was a second tithe. And when talks about second tithe, another 10%, right? And then he had offerings of another 10. So, and the second tithe was more for the poor people, those who were in need, right? And then you had another 10% offering. So there's that percentage here of like no less than one-third. In other words, they're faithful. And you know, God takes you where we at. If you're not doing anything, and you're not returning any offering and tithe to God, hey, start with 1%, right? If you are at 1%, hey, maybe you want to start with 2 right? Maybe at 2 maybe you want to do 5% for a tithe. Maybe at 5 you want to go to 7 8 9 10% and be faithful to God. If you're at 10 maybe it's time for the 10% and 1% offering because you rob God in tithes and offerings, right? And so... The Bible continues on and says, talks about giving a tithe and second tithe. And it'll come to a point where God wants, the more you appreciate God for what he's done for you, the more you want to give thanks, not because you have to, because you love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What do you say, amen? God loves a cheerful giver. What do you say, amen? First of all, God doesn't need your money. Can you hear amen? Amen? He doesn't need your money. In fact, he doesn't want your money God doesn't want your money if you're giving it because, oh man, okay, I don't want to put it in there. God only wants your money because your heart wants to give it out of appreciation for what he's done for you in your life. What a wonderful God we serve, amen? How many believe we serve the wonderful God, amen? So give to the Lord. But if you make a pledge to God, be faithful to God and return what you, if you say, God, I'm going to give you that 10%, Two years down the line, don't renege on that. Go back and say, God, God, help me to be faithful. I want to give that money that I said I would give. How many want that to be faithful to God? Let me see hands out there. What do you say, amen? Don't be like Ananias and Sapphira. They say they're going to give something, but they don't give all. You know, God's been convicting me, you know, as a minister. I, you know, I started off, honestly, there was a time in my life when I wasn't converted. I gave no money to God. And God was convicting me, so I first started. The first thing I did was... I started off as a pastor. 
I started giving my tithe, okay? I mean, before that, but my first thing was I was giving tithe. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute, God's convicting me more not only for tithe, but also for offering. And God was convicting me, okay, give tithe and give some, a little bit more for offering, you know, 1%, I started 11%. And then God's convicting me a little bit more as time went on, like tithe and then more for offering, 5%. And then God's convicting more for like, okay, 10. And the nice thing about percentage is that it's not a set amount. Can you hear me? Amen? It's like, it's dependent upon how much you make. So you can afford the percentage-wise, not a certain amount. Okay, everyone has to give $10,000. No, it's based upon how much you make. You make a little bit, it's still percentage. If you actually make a lot, it's still percentage. So God was convicting me. And he brought me to the point where I was 10% and like 10% the second tithe. And then God brought me to the point where it was like, 10% tithe, 10% second tithe, and offering 5%. And then it was 10 years ago, I made that commitment to God that, okay, God, I want to follow that. I saw this quote, it's convicting me that, you know, we're told that by giving, it's better to give than it is to what? Receive, right? You know, the more you give, the more we told in inspiration by Ellen White that it kills selfishness in our hearts. How many need selfishness to be killed in your heart? I need that. And so I was convicted, and I'm not telling this conviction on you, okay? I'm just telling you my experience and my personal story. I felt convicted that, you know, God has blessed me so much. I want to return, you know, no less than one-third. I want to at least come to that point. So I decided that I would give 30% of my income. And you know, it's been 10 years that we've been doing that. You know, God has been so good. And you know, if you test God and see you're going to see miracles in your life. And you know, we feel so free in doing it that it's so amazing how God works in our lives. And we actually have our own fund on the side. We don't all send it to the church. We have fund on the side. We see someone who's in need. We go and buy them food or something. We take it from that fund. And we know that there's always a need. And I like the fact that I come from a church and I love the fact that there is the church and they can be this, uh, discriminate between who deserves it and who doesn't. But sometimes, you know, we don't have time for a church board decision, right? And so sometimes you're going to see like a need, and I feel like we can just go inspired by the Holy Spirit and use the offering money beyond the 10%, right, or 15%, and we can actually help people who are in need. I want to be used by God to reach people when God tells me they need to be reached. Let me see your hands. What do you say, amen? And that's what we need to experience. There's another story here. Turn to Luke chapter 19 in your Bibles. 19 verse 2. Let's look at the story of Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19 verse 2 in your Bibles. Zacchaeus was dishonest. Another dishonest person. You know all these stories that refers to money again, right? And that's why it says money is the root of what? All evil. So we go back again in Luke chapter 19, verse 2. Notice the Bible says here. The Bible says, Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was what? Rich. He sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, because of his short stature. Okay, so he saw Jesus, and he said, Jesus said, come down, I will go to your house. And then I want you to notice, verse 8, it says here, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is also a son of Abraham. So Zacchaeus had, was dishonest in his practices. It was almost like he was an IRS agent working today, and he dishonestly stolen money from someone and threatened him and took the money and said, I'm going to turn you into the authority if you don't give me some cut of your money. And so he actually was stealing money from the people, from the people he collected taxes from. And he felt he needed to return the money. You know, I had a head elder once who was an attorney. And the sad thing is that he had done so much dishonest practices amongst so many different people that not only did he have a bad name among the church members, but he had a bad name in the community. And not only this community, but other communities. And you know what? I realized that in, in regards to reaching the community, it gave us a bad name because once they realized that 
he was a leader, a major leader in one of our churches, it really hindered our evangelism hard in our districts. And the reason why he did it was because what the Bible says, it was a love of money that did it. Now, Zacchaeus was converted and was also convicted of his wrong, and he made a pledge to give half to all, all he, he owned to the poor, and if he had stolen money from anyone or was dishonest in any, any way, he would restore fourfold to anyone he stole it from. And so Zacchaeus was actually making up things right. And if we have overreached someone in our lives, if we have ever defrauded others, God shows to us the gift of repentance and shows us what we did wrong. We should always go and make sure we make proper restoration, even if it hurts us financially. Believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? amen. That's a witness. If we do things wrong, we must make sure that it is right. And yet this is very rarely seen today. People like religion and the benefits that it brings them, but they don't like the call for sacrifice. And this is why the gospel has so little power today. You know, God calls us to be faithful in what we have, wherever we may be at. And he takes you wherever you're at, and whatever little you have, God asks for and be faithful in the little things, and then you come more and more and more. But when we become dishonest and we come, you know, we, we cheat people out and we take money away, the saddest thing for me is to see Christians become dishonest and ripping people off for money. Beloved, we need to be faithful. I want to be faithful. How about you? Amen? We need to be people, not who they talk Christian, but live Christianity in this world. What do you say? Amen? That's what this world is hungering for in these last days, I believe. Then there was a story of Gehazi with Elisha in 2 Kings 5.20, right? Remember Naaman was, the captain Naaman was healed. Elisha healed him, right, of his leprosy. And then Elisha's servant, Gehazi was there, and, and then Naaman said, how much do I owe you? And Elisha said, nothing. I did this for free. Now, if somebody did something like save your life, and he did it for free... How would you feel? You know that they didn't do it for money. You know, I remember my brother. I shared it last week about my brother who I told my wife two months ago, I said, you know, my brother is the last person that would turn to God. He's the last person in the world that I believe would turn to God and they would change his diet. You know, I remember he got sick about a month ago. I took him to the ER and helped him out. And then he asked me to... Um, with certain help, and so we're mowing the lawn. My wife is cooking for him. My daughter's doing, feeding the dog. I take him to the doctors, and we do not anything. And we, you know, it's a big yard, and about an acre. And it, and he, every time I mow his lawn, I say, you know, I know you're helping me with all this other stuff, but for the lawn, I'm just gonna pay you for that. You know, it's like a service. I said, no, I don't want it. He goes, no, I want to pay you, but every time I said, no, I don't want it. You know that that whole thing that once you receive money for it, it is no longer a favor for someone, right? It's no longer like I'm helping you. Because once you pay money for it, then it actually becomes like you're doing it for money, right? And so I said, no. But you know, that was the very means, I believe, that right after that, I said, no, I don't want it, that he began to be open to me. He asked me for spiritual books. You know, I gave him a devotional book, and he's reading the devotional book, asking me for more pamphlets. I gave him several times more books for him to read. And I didn't see the miracle of God. If we're not doing things for money, people are going to see that and they're going to realize it. And they're going, wait a minute, if they're not motivated by the love of money, there must be something else that makes them different. And you know your family is the hardest people to reach, right? So God can use you to reach your family. And the way to do it is that don't do things for money. Do it because you have the love of God in your heart and you want no attachment with money. And God will bless you. He's going to do miracles in your life. I believe that. What Gehazi did was he saw that Naaman offered his master money. Elisha, Elisha said, I don't want any money. I cured you of your disease, but I don't want anything. So Naaman got off on his horse and he left. But the servant saw that and he said, I'm going to be wise and I'm going to follow Naaman. And so he chased after him and he said, hey, hold up. Naaman got off his horse. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, got down. So talking to him, and he said, you know, he made up a story that somebody came and we needed some money, some silver, 
And Naaman was grateful and said, sure, here's the silver. And he gave him Gehazi the money. Gehazi came down, went back, but he, God showed Elisha what his servant had done. He called his servant in and said to him, did you receive any money from Naaman even after I sent him away without asking for anything? And he said, I did. And at that very moment, the Bible says, if you look at it, the Bible says in verse 27, the Bible says that Naaman said, well, so it be unto you. And at that moment, Gehazi had leprosy all over his body for the rest of his life. And don't forget the principle of the Bible. The Bible is showing here that we should never take advantage of the gospel for personal gain, especially since he wasn't the one who had done the miracle, right? He was taking advantage of the gospel. We should never take advantage of the gospel to make, become wealthy off the gospel. Can you hear amen? Amen? Now, the Bible says that a worker is worthy of his hire. In other words, we should pay ministers for their work. But at the same time, we're not to use gospel to make a lot of money or be dishonest in our dealings with people because we should not let the love of money be stronger than our love for God. I want to love God more than money. What do you say, amen? I want to give him all of my heart because he's been good to us. You know, even Jesus wants appreciation. Did you know that? Remember that story about the ten lepers who were healed, right? And how many only came back to Jesus? And what did Jesus say to them? What did he say to that one person? Where are what? Where are the other one? Nine. In other words, are you the only one that's going to show appreciation for what I've done for you? Right? It's like a relationship. When you see people show back appreciation for the things you've done for them, all the, you're, not, you're not asking for money, but just that appreciation. No, Jesus longs for that appreciation from us. Yes, Jesus has done so much for us, and all he longs for us to do is show appreciation with our tithes, our offerings, and to be faithful and not because love so money so much that we'll become dishonest in what we do. God wants us to be honest in everything that we do. There was a head elder in my church, another head elder in another church, who taught me a lot about money. And he said this, you know, Pastor Keala, you should always be honest with money with other people. They told me that you should always stick to your word, no matter what, even at the expense of losing money. Your word should be your word. Then he told me a story. This head elder was a general contractor to build these very beautiful custom homes. That's what he did. And he hired his neighbor to do some bulldozer work in his house, in his property. And they agreed, hands shook on agreement on how much money that's going to be. Anyways, the neighbor finished the yard and went back to his home with the dozer, and he came up and he said, okay, I'm ready for the payment. And the neighbor said a price that he said that was not what he remembered it to be. And I don't know what it was. I think it was like, say, let's say it was $5,000, but the neighbor said it was, and my head auditor thought it was $3,000. Are you following me? So there was actually a discrepancy. So they started disagreeing. and said, you know, I remember it was only $3,000. And the neighbor said, no, you said $5,000. But then my head auditor said he stopped. And said, well, you know, I remember $3,000, but if you say it was, we made a deal for $5,000, then I'm going to pay you the $5,000. So he went, he paid on the $5,000. He said that neighbor went home, came back later that week, brought him all kind of gifts and said, from that moment on, that neighbor respected him and that relationship totally changed where he was totally open to him from then on. Beloved, what would have happened if he just stopped fighting and said, I'm going to not pay you? And that, couldn't that also affect the gospel? He said, even though it may seem like a loss, we should never use, you know, be dishonest in our dealings, but we should also stick to a word, even at a loss. I thought it was very honorable because maybe he had forgotten. Maybe he was lying. But to actually come to the point where you're willing to sacrifice for the sake of Christ's name being lifted up because you are a Christian, that's pretty honorable. What do you say? Amen? Very few people do that. Because in money we trust today. It's the money God. We worship God of money more than we worship the God of heaven.
Turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. What are we not to do? Matthew 6, verse 24 in your Bibles. Matthew 6, 24. Notice the Bible says, No man can serve what? Two masters. For either he hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what? Mammon. Mammon is treasures, riches, and money. In other words, you must either serve one or the other, either God or serve money. But you can't serve God and money, the Bible says. You can't be a servant of God when you are a slave to money. In other words, you can't say, okay, I want to be a slave to money, but at the same time, I'm still going to worship God. It doesn't work that way. And how is it that we can be a slave to money? Turn me to Proverbs 22, verse 7. Note the Bible says here, Proverbs 22, verse 7. How can we be a slave? What happens to us when we borrow money from someone or from an institution? Notice the Bible says here in verse 7. The Bible says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is what? Servant, or the word is also slave to the lender. Do you know that? So in other words, those who borrow money are slaves to those who lend the money. Do you believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? In other words, when we get into debt, whether it is home mortgage, home equity line of credit, a car loan, credit cards, department with store cards, student loans, personal loans, Christmas loans, payday advancements, etc., we instantly become a slave. You believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? How many of you are slaves here tonight because of that? Let me see hands out there. I'm a slave too. I'm a slave too. Okay? I'll be honest with you. Now let's look at how slaves were treated before the Civil War, and then we're going to parallel with how slaves are treated to the new slavery today. You know there's a new slavery? There's the old slavery back then before the Civil War, right, with the blacks. But you know that today, there is a new modern-day slavery today, and that new modern-day slavery is called debt. Do you know that? So what we're going to do is, we're going to look at how the slaves were treated back then as slaves, and we're going to make a parallel comparison to how slaves are treated today. So the first thing about these slaves is that Back then, before the Civil War, it was very hard to escape slavery. Because back then, you couldn't leave an owner, an employer of a territory without explicit permission. You had to have a passport to leave the slave owner. And then also, if you try and escape, you would be returned back to your slavery. That's how it was back then. Today, just like the slaves of old, those who are trapped in debt in a modern-day slavery today cannot leave the slavery of their debt. And if you try to escape, the collection agencies will make sure that you're found and put back into the slavery so that you have to pay back everything you owe. Do you know that? Do you know there's laws that are being passed now that you can't even claim bankruptcy for certain loans anymore? Do you guys know that? And it's getting more and more. So you have a hard time to escape. That's number one. The second thing about slaves before the Civil War is that the high profits involved of the slavery, right, the slave industry back then, kept you as a slave. So the slave masters, they made high profits from the owning slaves and, you know, the cotton farms and all that. And this had a greater influence on the nation than the people who argue against slavery. So because the money was so great, that was a greater reason why to keep the slaves rather than just, you know, um, people who have argued against the slavery. So they kept the slaves going on in the South. Even Southerners who didn't own slaves felt that the South's economy would fail if people could not own slaves. So it continued on and on. You know, so the high profits kept people as slaves. It was a money-making business, so that money talked and it worked. So today's slavery of the modern slavery of debt it's the same thing. Just like the slave masters, the credit card companies make high profits on lending money with very high interest. Do you know the Bible talks about lending money with very high interest in the Bible? Do you know what that's called in the Bible when you do that? Does anyone know? 
usury. So look, do a study on usury in the Bible. In other words, you, you're lending money out at very high interest. You know credit card companies charge a, a very high amount compared to the interest rates that's charged in the, in the federal government, you know? The Federal Reserve is raising the interest rates. It's very low right now, like 1%, 2%, I can't remember, right around there at this time. And the banks take the money from the, right? And they actually lend out loans at, you know, 3.9%, 4%. And all of a sudden, the credit cards, they jump out with these, like, you know, 12%, 15% for credit cards return. That is what called is usury. You're not supposed to do that in the Bible. And so that's what they're doing. So the credit cards make high profits on lending money with high interest. And it's considered a great, you know, this great sin. And these credit card companies and these people who make loans and bankers, they make so much money that through the lobbying efforts at Washington, D.C., that their efforts work way more better than the people who argue against high interest lending. Even today, there are people who believe that the economy will fail if we do not borrow money. You see the parallel that's happening out there? So the second thing is that there's high profits keep you a slave. The other one was that it's hard to escape as a slave when you are in debt as well. And the third thing that happens is you are kept illiterate. So back before the Civil War, right, the slaves, what they did was they didn't want the, the blacks to read or write because they believed that if they did, they'd be encouraged to run away just like the slave masters of today, of the credit agencies and the bankers, they don't want you to become literate in regard to managing your finances because if you did, you'd be encouraged to run away from being in debt as well. Do you know that? So you have, it's hard to escape as slaves back then. It's hard to escape as a slave to being in debt today. High profits kept you as a slave back then. High profits keep you as a slave today. The lobbying efforts are keeping the laws in their favor. You kept illiterate back then, not to read and write, and you kept illiterate today in how to get, and the danger of being in debt as well. And then the fourth thing is, the slaves back then had long, hard labor. The strong young men and women were sometimes forced to work long days in the field with little or no breaks to drink water or to even to eat food. And beloved, just like back then before the Civil War, those who are in the modern slavery of today are debt. Them too, strong young men and strong women today are forced to work long days and even long nights, sometimes even two to three jobs with little or no breaks, even to drink water to eat food so that they may pay off their home mortgages, their car payments, their student loans, and their credit cards. Do you know anyone like that? Seen that person in the mirror a time or two? He's so busy paying off the debts and everything. This is the modern-day slavery. And the danger about slavery is that really a slave is one who's being controlled by another person. That's what slavery really is all about. A person who's a slave is really being controlled by another person. That's what this whole weekend's about, about control and being set free. That's what I'm talking about this. And we're going to see another reason tomorrow morning. And then the last thing about slavery I want to share. Back before the Civil War, the last thing was that they were forced to stay. The slaves were subjected and forced to be there even though they didn't want to be there. But they were forced. And just like the slaves back then, people... And even Christians are forced to stay in their jobs because of their slaveries to their debts, even though they may not want to be at their job. Are you following me? How many ever felt that way? And when God calls these people, and even young people, to go somewhere to serve Him, what they do is they are forced to stay where they are and serve the master of money of whom they have chosen to serve rather than the God who has done so much for them. That's the modern slavery today. And Satan has deceived a lot of people, and especially Christians. Let me ask you a question. What would happen if God would call you tomorrow to go into the mission field and become a missionary to serve him? Would you go? Or maybe the better question today is not so much would you go, but isn't the better question is could you go? 
So the God of money, because we're in debt, money, the love of money has kept us in debt so much, that has become a master, a slave master, and we're stuck where we're at, forced to work in a job that we don't even want to work in because we're a slave. We can pretend to serve God, but when we're serving the master, the slave master being in debt, when God calls us to go somewhere and to serve him, whatever it is in a mission field, to another state, to minister to him, we are not able to go and serve the God of heaven because the God of this earth has chained us into debt. Can I get a witness here? What do you say? Amen? Are you following me what I'm saying here? We are not free. We can claim to be free, but we are slaves. We need to be set free from Jesus Christ. I want to be set free. How about you? What do you say? Amen? They desire to serve the master with all their heart. They're forced to return and serve the other master. I had a Bible worker. She owed $200,000 in student loans. And she wasn't even doing what she went to school for. And had no desire to do it. I mean, you think $200,000. I know friends, $400,000 in debt student loans. You're talking student loans, okay? You're not even talking a house. You can buy some places in Hawaii a house for $400,000. She was $200,000 in student loans, and the creditors were always calling her all the time and harassing her, reminding her of her debt. And not only that, but she could not go. She wanted to go and do a certain mission field of ministry but because of her debt, she had to work and she could never do what she believed God was telling her to do. And that's why young people, old people alike, owe no man anything. Can you hear a big amen? Amen? amen. If you're in debt, avoid it like the plague, we told, right? <laughs> avoid it like the plague, we told the inspiration. Ellen White says, Christ lived frugally and sacrificed so much for you and me. He even sacrificed his own life so that you and I could be saved. Shouldn't this love that he has for us melt our hearts and make us so that we would want to sacrifice for him? But even if your heart is stirred, even if you have a desire to want to go as a missionary, even if you want to give 100% to God, how can you give 100% when you're still a slave to mammon and to the treasures and the, the debts of this world. And many times we're buying things which we can't even afford. And we're staying more, the more we spend, we go into debt, the more we go into the slave and to the hands of Satan himself to get you to do what he wants you to do. This weekend is about freedom. And tonight I challenge you to be set free from the control of mammon and the riches of this world. I challenge you to run away, to escape from the control and clutches of death in this world. I challenge you to want to be set free and to be free. You know that Christ shall set you free. You shall be free indeed. What do you say, amen? God came to set you free. Why do you want to continue to be a slave to the things of this world? Beloved, I have also known what it's like to be a slave. A slave to this world of sin and people pleasing. I know it's like to be beaten and mistreated by the devil as well. I know it's like to run away from my slave master, only be caught and return as well to him for more severe punishment. I know it's like to be held illiterate by the slave master so that I won't come to the knowledge of the truth that can set me free. I know it's like to be forced to work long days for the devil with no water breaks to drink from the water of life or from the tree of, eat from the tree of life. I know it's like to be subjected to Satan, to be forced to be a slave, even though I didn't want to be his slave. But through the grace of God who loves me, I've escaped from the slavery of the devil, and I have lived to tell of it. God has emancipated me to the underground gospel railroad, for I've learned the truth, and the truth has set me free. And beloved, the truth will set you free. What do you say, amen? amen. For the Son of Man has made me free. I shall be free indeed. And now that I'm able to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ had made me free. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. What do you say, amen? And God wants to set you free. And beloved, it starts with everything. 
in the practical things of life, and that's talking about your death. You cannot do what God is calling you to do if you are a slave to this world. You're a slave to the riches of this world. You want the luxuries and the enjoyment of life, modern conveniences. You know, God wants to set you free. This weekend, we'll be looking at both institutional freedom as well as personal freedom. You know, institutional freedom we're looking at tomorrow is really an institution granting you personal freedom to each person. And God wants you to be free so you can love and serve him and others with all of a heart that wants to rather than a heart that needs to in his force. I want to serve God with freedom. Beloved, we've got to set ourselves free. And you can do it. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. What do you say, amen? God's going to set you free. You know, this weekend is being set, we're going to talk about being set free from different things in this world. We're talking about money because tomorrow morning you're going to find out that money plays a major role, I believe, in the last days. And this is a foundation because many of us, before even the last days begin, are already in the wrong place. We're already in major debt. God wants to get you out. No, we're slowly getting out more and more. Praise God, you know, we don't have any car loans. Paid off our student loans. We're debt-free there. No house loan. We have one credit card to go. <laughs> but God wants to set me free too. Not just you, but me as well. That's my goal. Is that your goal as well? What do you say, amen? I want that all my heart. Most of this world trusts in money as their God. They believe that their money God can get them whatever they want. But money cannot give you the fulfillment, the friendship, and the love that only God can give. And the love as revealed on the cross of Calvary for you and me. When you see how much God loves you, your heart will be warmed. And you'll be touched. And you want to give back. And you want to show appreciation to a God who loves you. So instead of trusting in money, why don't you trust in God? In God we trust tonight. What do you say, amen? Not in money we trust. Trust in Him when things go good. But more importantly, trust in Him when things go wrong as well. And you can only trust Him when you finally realize that God, He has been faithful to you as well. He's been faithful to you in your life. How many want to taste God's goodness tonight? Let me see hands out there. Amen. Let's taste His goodness this weekend as we study God's Word. We feast on His Word. And once we taste His goodness, you're going to not want anything else. I want that. How about you? Amen. May God deliver us this weekend. You know, we just started off this weekend. But maybe this weekend, maybe in your mind you feel like, God, do something with me. I'm a slave to something in this world. I'm a slave to addiction or bad habits or sin in my life or whatever it is. We, how people controlling me or people pleaser or a slave to negative emotions or I'm a slave to unforgiveness or bitterness in my life or a slave to death or whatever it may be. A slave to fear, in fact. Whatever it is this weekend, let, that, let this be our prayer that God may deliver us from whatever it is that's keeping us held down. I want that. How about you? Amen. So just think about it. Say, Lord, in your mind, this time, say, Lord, please deliver me this weekend. Give me this freedom. I want to experience it. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know where this is going to take me, but I want to be faithful. I heard the message tonight, but Lord, please help me to stick to this conviction that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to my heart tonight and to get out of there. Not just hear a nice sermon and oh, it's so great, but get out of there so I can be free to serve the Lord. I want to be free. How about you, amen? Be free indeed. So thank you, Jesus. Let us pray. Father, Lord, thank you so much for all you've done for us. And Lord, we pray that you may be with everyone here and hit home the conviction to the heart. Drive it deep, Lord. Plant the seed of love in your word down deep in my heart and everyone's heart here that it may grow and that it may give fruit. Lord, set us free. Set us free in these last days. Lord, deliver us. Whatever it looks like this weekend, begin that work in our hearts. 
and deliver us. It is our humble prayer. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.